Welcome to the Sports Fan Radio Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Axel Dench. Known for playing college basketball with Gonzaga, he was also NBL Rookie of the Year and a member of the champion Illawarra Hawks side in 2001. Perhaps he is better known for his appearance in one of the Star Wars films as Wookiee Chieftain Meru Meru. I googled you this morning and the first reference to come up was Wikipedia. Indeed, indeed. Given uh, your basketball career... Does it surprise you that uh, that's the first thing that comes up? Uh, given my basketball career, no, I'm not surprised that it, that's what that's what's come up. I think uh, probably more more people, and particularly kids at my son's school, know me for uh, being a Wookiee than uh, my basketball past. So Meru 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 Meru, yes, Commander Commander or Chief Meru Meru was uh, my character name. So um, well, that's what my son calls me when he's playing with my little action figure. I was I was going to say that. The reason for that is that Star Wars is actually bigger than basketball. Yeah, I, I think no one has ever put basketball down as their religion, but they have a Jedi, a Jedi or the Force. So, but I think Star Wars is much bigger than basketball, particularly for my little, my little background. So, from my research, you were born in 1976. Indeed, uh, local Melbourne boy. Uh, travelled the world since then, obviously through basketball. Uh, but yeah, Melbourne born and bred. Grew up in Mont Albert. Where'd you go to school? Uh, Montalbert Primary School, or MAPS as we like to call it, and then uh, Kerry Grammar. I was looking at the tail of the tape, and uh, you're not a short person by any extent. Six foot 11 or 211 centimetres in the new money. Yep. When did you work out you were going to be tall? I think I was always tall as a kid. Um, dad's 6'4", mum's 5'7", so I get my height from my dad's side. I've got a 6'8 cousin. Um, but when I was in probably grade 5, grade 6 in primary school, I was bigger than all the, the other kids in the class. And kind of getting when I was eleven years old, I was virtually taller than my mum. I was okay. I'm probably going to be probably be one of the big kids. But when I was about fourteen, I kind of really shot up and grew about, geez, almost a foot in a year, um, and went through four different sizes of shoes. And mum and dad, particularly mum, was not happy. I mean, I think Doc Martens were the the shoe craze at the time, and I think I went through four different sizes of those in a year. And it was a relatively expensive year for mum and dad, clothes wise. So. Um, yeah, so kind of when I hit that six nine, six ten, I, I was a bit of a beanstalk, but yeah, I realised that was going to be a big one. What was it like growing up and you being taller than every other male that you were uh, playing with in the schoolyard? Uh, I think uh, probably not unlike most tall kids, you're, you're a late developer, so the, the kids who were shorter, they were always way faster and always more coordinated than me, so I might have been closer to the rim, but at the same time, they, they could kind of get to the loose balls and just beat me down the court, which probably wasn't that much different from my professional career, to be honest. Um, but uh, it was it was weird. I mean, some kids, you, you'd be the, you'd be first picked because you were the tall kid, and they kind of assumed because you were tall, you were talented. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things where you you were tall, you stood out, and uh, people stared at you as you're walking down the street, and that hasn't really changed. Tall is still tall. Um, but yeah, no, I think I liked it. It was kind of set me apart. Um, I think most kids kind of probably struggle to find their identity, but I was just kind of, I was the tall kid, and I kind of took that on board and owned it, and uh, went from there. What drew you to basketball? Uh, I think I had a choice. I played Little League as a kid, or... Auskick, probably back in primary school days, um, and I'd go from there to basketball. And my dad is a bit of a neat freak when it comes to his car, and he didn't want me getting into the car covered in mud. So I'd have to wear tracksuit pants on the football field playing these games. 
and they just get mud soaked and I was already slow and I just got slower carrying around all this weight with the wet tracksuit pants and dad after a while realized that I was just getting left behind he said so perhaps you want to make a choice do you want to play footy or do you want to play basketball and I just there was something about basketball that drew me to it and it was 94 feet so I didn't have to run around a, a massive football field and um, I think I was a decent, I, I think I recognized that I was a decent shooter from the get-go back in the day, and I was like, you know what, this, this is probably going to be the sport for me, so yeah. What was your first team? My first team was the Ball and Youth Club, so it was a, a church hall uh, attached obviously to a church, and all the kids from the local school, there was a, a kind of a, a young, like a youth go on a Tuesday night, play, pay 50 cents, and for an hour you just get to play sports with all the other kids, and we put a team together through my local primary school, and uh, the kind of youth sports uh, guy kind of took us on, and uh, we're in the tiny white little shorts and tiny red uh, singlets, and we were the only team for this whole club, um, yeah, and I think the our first game we, we lost 4-2, to two. And we were pretty impressed that we scored two points, and um, from there just kind of moved moved around to uh, join rep teams and things like that. And that at some stage led to you going to college in the US. Yeah, so from Bourne Youth Club to Wattle Park Saints to Nutterwadding Spectres, um, and out of high school, I was kind of a training bait for the Melbourne Magic, um, and just got my but kicked by all the talented people of the world, so the Chris Anstys and the John Dorges and Tony Ronaldsons. Um, and mum and dad were former teachers in their first careers. And they're like, you know what, it's it's really good that you you think you're living this basketball dream, but at the same time, you don't have any qualifications. And if you look around, your peers in the basketball world, they don't have any qualifications either. So basketball will come to an end. Um, and it'll be It'd be best if you had an education to fall back on when it, when when the dream does finish. So, um, I kind of my coach at the time, Brian Gorge at the Melbourne Magic. Um, his dad was a former coach of college in the WCC, um, so he just started asking on my behalf. So I had offers from University of Hawaii, um, Boston College, Arizona, Eastern Washington, uh, Pepperdine, and Gonzaga and St Mary's. And I looked at all of the offers, um, and funnily enough, it kind of came down to academics. Gonzaga had a really good business program, and they also didn't have a football team. And I realized no matter how bad we were, basketball would still be the number one sport on campus. So, um, And there was two other Aussie guys there, Paul Rogers, who was there at the time, and John Riley, who'd graduated. And his John really was playing in Adelaide for the 36ers, and Mike Dunlap was his coach, who was best friends with Gorgian. And uh, there was a guy who'd lost his academic eligibility that summer over in the States, and they needed a big man uh, at short notice. So my name came up, and I had a few, couple of chats with the coaches um, over the phone. They sent me out some VHS tapes. I never got to do a, a, a visit, um, and I accepted the, uh, the offer on a Friday night. Um, went out and had a big one with my friends uh, to celebrate and I get home at about four in the morning and there's a note on my bed from mum saying SATs are at 7am at uh, Swinburne TAFE that's the last one before October and if I didn't sit that one the next morning I wouldn't be able to get into school so I get an hour's sleep drag my way into class sit this SAT um, 
unfortunately find out that I've passed it and I'm off. And for those who don't know, where's Gonzaga exactly? Gonzaga is in a city called Spokane, Washington, so it's right on the border of Washington State and Idaho, so in the top left-hand corner of the Pacific Northwest. So it's this beautiful, it's a beautiful city and has a beautiful uh, river that runs through it, um, but the VHS tape, uh, there was one, there was a highlight tape of the university and one of the highlight tape of the basketball team, and the university tape showed kids skiing and hiking through mountains and doing all this amazing stuff, and the the day that I flew in, I'm looking out the window, excited to see my future home for the next four years, and all I can see is farm fields as far as the eye can see, and it's there's bushfires, so it's just black, smoky air. And I turned to the person next to me, and I said, "Like, are there two Spokans? I, this cannot be the same place." And they said, "Yeah, yeah, no, this is this is the only one." And I get off the plane, and I'm kind of slip into the conversation. I was like, "Geez, it looks a lot different than the highlight tapes you sent me." He's like. Yeah, that was all filmed in Idaho, which is 20 miles away. So we we do get the snow, but we just don't have the beautiful mountains right in our backyard. And how long were you there for? All four years. So, And what did you study? I got a Bachelor of Business, uh, Business Administration with a major in Marketing. March Madness, most yeah. Australians have heard of. Yeah. And you were involved in that on a number of occasions? Yeah, so we were fortunate. My first two years, we kind of, we had winning records, but just by the skin of our teeth, and we never um, made much noise in the postseason. My sophomore year, we went to the NIT, but that's kind of the, I don't want to put too fine a point, though, it's kind of the red-headed stepchild of postseason tournaments. You, you go because you want to play, keep playing, but it, no one really boasts about it um but then my junior year we made it to the tournament we had a really really good team um and the first round we beat uh, minnesota who had fortunately for us had some guys on academic probation who weren't able to play and so we kind of beat them and then the second game we played stanford um who were number one seed in there in the west region and no one gave us any shot of beating them and we just played out of our skins and beat them um, and made it through to uh, the, the Sweet 16 where we faced off against Florida. And there's a, a game that gets played on kind of ESPN Classics a lot and there was uh, about four seconds to go. One of our point guards shoots it and it kind of rims off and about eight people go up to get this rebound and one of our guys who was just an amazing, amazingly athletic guy just taps it up Um and by luck of the roll it goes in and they have a Hail Mary shot and they, they lose it and we uh, we find our way into the Elite Eight against the eventual champions Connecticut who uh, kind of had, had Richard Hamilton and Khalid Alamine and they just they beat us but yeah this small tiny little Jesuit Catholic school of three and a half thousand students made it to the Elite Eight so that was uh, our kind of first big foray into the, uh, the tournament and it we uh, we woke up, we beat Florida, and my teammate and I, probably not the smartest thing, we went out with all our friends who were down there, and we get back to our room at about five in the morning, and on the on the doorstep of our hotel is the free copy of uh, USA Today, and on the front cover is this tiny little picture of uh, Elton Brand, another tiny picture of uh, Wally Serbiak, and the big picture on the cover of this newspaper that has 80 million uh, readers is a teammate in my arms and we both got our hands up in the air doing the number one salute and that was the whole holy moly we've actually we've done something pretty special so you've got a 
copy of that framed, no doubt? I have. It's in my hallway at, uh, as we speak. So it was just, I mean, I think they put the, the free publicity for the, the success. I think they equated it to about $380 million worth of ad spend because we were just this, as we said, this Cinderella story team came out of nowhere, no national names, no, no nothing. What sort of crowds were you playing in front of during March Madness? So we, the biggest one we played at would have been in Phoenix, and I think there was, well, whatever the capacity, I think it's maybe 17,000 people. So if we'd gone to the final four, not like the one there was, uh, there, I think we played in a baseball stadium that was 70,000 people, so we would have loved to have gotten to that game, but uh, no, it wasn't, wasn't on the cards. So yeah, no, we, I mean, and these were in neutral sites, so we played these Elite Eight down in Phoenix, and I think we were just such a feel-good underdog story that out of 17,000 people, maybe 2,000 were from Connecticut and Florida, and the rest were just on the on the Gonzaga bandwagon. So no matter what we did, we had this amazing crowd support behind us. How did that feel? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, we were, we were this, no, I mean, literally no-name school, no-name kids. We were on a bus. We had police escorts. We had CBS film crew following us around it was just so surreal i mean we're back at a hotel nike kind of booked out three floors and when we made it to the elite eight that kind of we'd we'd arrived in their books and they said all right after shoot around they said okay come up to level 10 we've just got some stuff for you and they have say 30 hotel rooms on this floor and they said in each of these rooms, there's a t-shirt room and a sneakers room and a whatever room. Have at it. So we were just, it was free reign. We just went into these rooms and just got whatever we wanted as much as we wanted. And that was when we were like, okay, this is, this, this is something special. We'd never done, never gotten anything like that. We just had the standard team tracksuit pants that they just changed the color for whatever team they were sponsoring. But this is, this was our arrival. So college finishes. Yep. How close were you to making it into the NBA? I'd like to think I was close, but the reality is probably I wasn't as close as I probably thought. I think there was a chance I was going to get taken at 44 by Detroit, but they took another slow white guy in Brian Cardinal, who was uh, from the University of Purdue. Um, but I had some summer league tryouts with, uh, gosh, who was it? Uh, Golden State, Lakers, Portland, and Houston Rockets. Um, end up playing in two summer leagues with the Houston Rockets in uh, LA and Salt Lake City. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. Um, and you, you're one of 17 guys on a summer league team. And so you, you, if there are seven games in a summer league, you might play in three or four of them, but you never know when your number's going to be called and you just got to be ready. Um, and yeah, so it was just I think I was a long shot, but you, you put your hand up and you do your best and see what you can see what you can show them. I, did, I think I probably did well enough that I got invited back for a second year for a couple of these teams just to see how much I'd gotten better in the one year of going pro, but um, it was just a, a different world there. Well, speaking of going pro, you came back to play in the NBL in 2001. 
I did indeed. So it was either go across to Europe or head back to Australia, uh, virtually to a guaranteed starting five spot with Wollongong. And I kind of weighed up the money, um, but to go back to a league where I knew I was going to guarantee getting a lot of time, um, it seemed it seemed a too too good an opportunity to pass up. So I, I signed a, a two year deal to come back with the Wollongong Hawks and. Um, we virtually had out of 10 guys there were five new guys on the team five who were kind of returning players so we kind of needed to find our identity and funnily enough there were a few guys or three other guys on the team that I played with through juniors um, so we had a bit of a history and for some reason we're all about 24 25 years old and chemistry wise we just clicked we, we lost our first game and everyone was just like oh you had such a good preseason." second and third game we were down here in Melbourne playing against I think the Victoria Titans and Melbourne Tigers and I think the club had never beaten them on away games for the first, and for the first time we we won both and that kind of we realized okay we we might have something special here and we we ended up coming fourth um, at the end of the season and just played out of our skins um, and across three three game series, we won the first one, lost the second one, won the third one, um, and come the grand final up in uh, Townsville, we did the same thing. So we got smacked on a Saturday night and turned around. Uh, Fourteen hours later, in a, a mid afternoon game up there, we uh, we took out the title. So NBL championship, and if my research is correct, you were also the NBL rookie of the year. I was indeed. So I was a bit of a a, a late bloomer. So uh, <laughs> snuck out. I think I snuck out the win against one of my teammates at the time, Damon Lowry. So he was a, a 31-year-old naturalised Australian, and I was a 25-year-old uh, late bloomer. Um, and yeah, it was just that was probably the most kind of awarded or rewarding season of my career. So I'd come from winning three conference championships as as a college player. I came back uh, rookie of the year, NBL champion, and then. Um, snuck my way onto the national team and another NBA kind of summer league roster. So all the kind of cards fell out just wonderfully. I, prob- I basically should have retired there because it was never going to get any better than that, I don't think. Well, I was just going to say, uh, did you realise at the time that uh, you'd hit your peak? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you look at that and I think that that year... I popped my shoulder out a couple of times or, or subluxated it, so it hadn't dislocated. And the next, the after that year, um, I went across to Summer League over in America and it kept popping out. And I was like, oh, geez, this is a little bit, it's happening more frequently than it could or should. So I came home, was on the national team for the ill-fated kind of World Cup or World Championship qualifying series where we lost in New Zealand. And I joined Wollongong again and virtually it popped out every day for the next six months. We're halfway through that second season with the Hawks. I go for a, a reconstruction. They go in and they realize that there's a hole as big that a mouse could crawl through it in his shoulder joint. And I've got about, I think the, the doctor pulled out 91 bone splinters from this shoulder that's just been gotten t- torn apart for the last year or so. And so I had two full reconstructions. and um, That would slow you up. It slowed me up for a bit, and I came back, signed with Wollongong for another two years, but just didn't have the same kind of impact and didn't have the same role, and I realised that I probably didn't have the same um, name or reputation in Australia anymore, so it was probably time to head to Europe and roll the dice there. But first, 
there was a stop at the ends New Zealand Basketball League. There was, yeah. So I finished with the Hawks, um, and I was on contract with them till the end of June. Um, but the the league over in New Zealand, and I played for the team called Harbour Heat in Auckland. Uh, that started in March, um, and to go over and play over there. Um, the Hawks were pretty much, and they were a team that was looking to save as much money as they could. And they said, well, you can go over and play there, um, but we'll end your contract as soon as you get on the plane. So I basically gave up more money than I could have earned in Australia in for, for the remainder of the contract to go play in New Zealand, knowing that I was coming off the bench in Australia. I just want to play. I want to get some stats. I want to get some runs in the legs to be in shape when um, my agent got me to play in the summer league over in Italy. Um, so yeah, Harbour Heat. So uh, it was almost like going back to the, or going to the AIS. We lived in this kind of sports dorm and that which didn't have a kitchen. So we, it was, it was, I had a fridge in my room so I could have cold things, but I couldn't cook anything. So we trained from eight till 10 at night. And then because- Eat salad. Well, I was either eating salad or the only restaurants that were open were fast food or Denny's. So for four months, I was just having this terrible food. Um, but at the same time, that was the first time I've ever, I'd ever been regarded as an import. So I was like, okay, I need to I actually need to be proactive and look to get my shot more aggressively than I usually am. I was just used to being a kind of a, a fourth string option or being a glue guy, be a passer, be a screener, get some rebounds, try and play defense if I could. Not that it was my strength, but um, <laughs> but this one was okay. We need you to go out and get twenty points, and we need you to get ten boards. And if you get an assist, that's great. But we need you to be a scorer, and that was a real mind shift from what I'd been for the last just eight years. Okay. Um, and so yeah, played there for four months and had an absolute ball. And how successful were they? We were a terrible team. We were we were absolutely so you awful. Were su- you were successful in terrible team. Yeah, well, and that was the thing. So there was me. There was another importer I called Pernell Perry, who was at the tail end of his career. This might have actually been his last year. American guy who could jump out of the gym, but I think he realised this was his last stop, and he was just going to have an absolute ball doing it. So he was at the club every night, and so he might turn up to training. He'd turn up to games to have his fun, but other than that, he was uh, out out enjoying himself and we were a young team so there's some guys um jared kenny who now plays for perth wildcats leon henry who was with townsville last year so there was some just a really young team um that were just trying to find learn how to play the game of basketball so we weren't a good team but we're a nice bunch of guys and i think we 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 changed head coaches at the time uh so it was a bit of a, a team in flux but those things happen and then over to europe over to Europe, so as I said, I went to, went to Treviso for a summer league. Um, my agent got me over there, and so James Harvey and I were roommates in Italy for a while. Um, and that was that was the first time that I'd come up against a lot of, I guess, out of the other Americans, um, all in the one place since college. And you've, I don't know if you've heard the term airport players. So you see these guys, and they've got all the gear, and walking through an airport, and you're like, oh, geez, he must be a legit player. Look at him doing the dunk in that warm-up. He's... Where James and I, James Harvey and I, were just like we are going to get smashed, and then come playtime, these guys 
couldn't run an offense and they weren't that good a shooter when they hand in their face and we realized, oh, okay, it's just all smoke and mirrors. And so James Harvey just ran with it and he was, I think he averaged 26 a game and he got a contract in Israel afterwards. So he had a fantastic time and I got picked up in Portugal. Just diverting just for one second, is that why there are so many poor imports in Australia because the people who are looking at the talent see airport players, if you like, who can do a whole lot of stuff, but when then when they get here, out here, they don't seem to be nearly as good a player as they're, they're uh, yeah. thought to be. I think that was probably that was probably something that happened maybe 10 years ago when the internet and scouting wasn't as prevalent, but now I think you hear coaches when they're a recruiter guy and they say, you know what, we look for character first, and Australian coaches will actually go and watch these kids play in the summer leagues and talk to their coaches and go and meet with them and say you know what this guy's not a knob he's not in it for his numbers um and they do a bit of a more bit more of a character assessment but the the minor leagues that i've just kind of stopped playing in the big v and the c ball they might not have that budget and so they'll get a hundred highlight tapes and that's what it is, a highlight tape. No one's showing that you don't play help defense or you don't pass or you don't play defense at all. So I think, and then there's the the Pacific shrink. So I, I'm touted as 6'9", and then I'll get off the plane and he's actually 6'5", and you're not a center, you're a, you're a two-man. Um, but the, and I've seen it, guys are just looking to get a job because they, they, they love the game of basketball, so they'll, they'll shape themselves a certain way and do what they need to do to get that next contract. Thanks for listening to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. Next time, we'll finish our interview with Axel Dench. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to Sports Fan Radio. 